0: Welcome to NTD News Today.
1: Here are today's top stories.
0: It's just over 100 days since the October 7th attacks by Hamas.
1: Extreme weather wrecks havoc over the weekend. Hear all about the effects on travel, sports and communities. And Iowans brave sub-zero temperatures in the first votes of the GOP nomination race.
0: An official start to the 2024 presidential elections. What are we expecting to see tonight in the Iowa caucuses? And what the latest polls this weekend tell us about a fight for second place.
1: Taiwan wrapped up the world's first election of 2024. Voters chose their next leader, the man the Chinese Communist Party does not want.
0: A volcano eruption setting multiple houses on fire as molten lava reaches a nearby village. We bring you an update on the latest eruption in Iceland.
1: A 22-year-old second lieutenant in the Air Force is crowned this year's Miss America. What makes Madison Marsh stand out?
2: This is NTD News
3: Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stefania Cox and Chris Beers.
0: U.S. fighter jets shot down a cruise missile fired at a Navy destroyer yesterday in the Red Sea. That's according to U.S. Central Command.
1: No injuries or damages were reported. CENTCOM said the missile was launched from a Houthi-controlled area of Yemen. CENTCOM says more strikes were carried out on a Houthi radar site over the weekend. It called it a follow-on action to the multi attack on close to 30 Houthi locations last week.
0: It comes after the White House said it was trying to avoid escalation. The U.S. and its allies have repeatedly warned the Iran-backed group there would be consequences if it continued to attack commercial shipping.
1: Israelis across the country and the world marked 100 days since the start of the Israel-Gaza war. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the event, where thousands joined families of hostages in a 24-hour-long rally dubbed 100 Days of Hell.
4: The rally ended on Sunday night in a Tel Aviv plaza that became known as the Hostages Plaza. Of the 240 hostages who were kidnapped on October 7th, more than 130 are still held captive in Gaza. Their plight and the anguish of their families are deeply felt across Israeli society. 11-year-old Ziv Braslavsky says everyone wants his brother back home.
5: I'm asking asking the government to rescue the hostages, to bring them home. I'm missing my brother so much.
4: Mirav Gonin's 23-year-old daughter, Romy, is being held hostage in Gaza.
1: This was crime against humanity, not crimes against Israel.
4: Gonin has a message for world leaders.
6: So this is your responsibility, too, uh, to make sure that coming back home, all 136 uh, people.
4: Ayelet Shahar says she is horrified her daughter Nama has become a symbol of the brutal October 7th Hamas terror attack. She has a message for her captors.
7: Keep her safe. Bring her back home. Let her go back home to her mother, to her family.
4: Ayelet speaks to her daughter Nama.
7: Nama, if you hear me, if you see me,
2: just hang in there. We're doing everything we can to bring you back.
4: In London on Sunday, thousands of protesters gathered in Trafalgar Square at a pro-Israel rally also to call for the release of all hostages in Gaza.
8: We mourn the loss of innocent Palestinians. We mourn the loss of innocent Israelis. And But I think people have forgotten how this began.
4: The attack on October 7th killed more than 1,200 people, the biggest single-day loss of life since the founding of the State of Israel in 1948, and the shock was compounded by the multiple accounts of rape and sexual violence that emerged in the following weeks. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: And to mark this anniversary, a bipartisan group of senators is planning to host the families of hostages detained by Hamas. The families will gather lo- with lawmakers at the Capitol on Wednesday at a press conference calling for continued US support to bring their loved ones home.
1: Meanwhile, President Biden issued a statement about the 100-day mark on Sunday. He shared his sentiment for those still in captivity. Biden vowed to continue efforts to free the hostages. Hamas is still holding up to six Americans and around 130 hostages in total. To reflect on the state of affairs in the Middle East, we're joined by Rabbi Yaakov Menken, the, direct, the Managing Director at the Coalition for Jewish Values. Rabbi Menken, where do things stand with the war in the Middle East right now? Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh,
9: the the pr- continued prosecution of the war is to eradicate the Hamas terror organization because this can never be allowed to happen again. Hamas said quite openly that what happened on October 7th, the mass rapes, the mass murder, the beheading and burning of babies was only a dress rehearsal. They're going to come do it again. And they are explicitly a genocidal organization. We are literally looking at the new Nazis. And anybody who has a scent of a, a smitten of humanity within them knows that you have to eliminate the Nazis in order for there to be peace. Yet look at what is going on in the world. The International Court of Justice now has, now South Africa with its long history of racism and bigotry is making a bigoted attack on the Jewish state claiming that Israel is committing genocide by trying to eradicate the the terror organization Hamas and free those hostages. Each one an ongoing war crime that Israel is acting to stop. That is unbelievable. That is racist and deplorable. It is just vile filth that the African National Congress would, after overcoming apartheid in South Africa, make such a bigoted attack on Israel to try to prevent it from winning this war.
1: And Rabbi, as we just talked about, tens of thousands of Israelis gathered on Sunday for the release of the 130 hostages, at least, still held in Gaza. Talk about the experience of these families, um, of these hostages, over the past 100 days.
9: It's just, it is completely indescribable. Uh, You cannot mourn someone till you know that they have actually passed away. And so this is just an ongoing, heart-wrenching, they don't know if they're dead or alive, they don't know if they'll ever be allowed to see them again. I just have to reiterate, each and every one is a war crime. Each and every second that they're being held by Hamas is a war crime. Anyone who doesn't lead with the war crimes being committed by Hamas that they committed on October 7th and are continuing to commit to this day is a person who's not actually interested in international human rights. Or at least they make an exception, again, like the Nazis,
1: when it comes to Jews. And what about the Israeli people more broadly? How are they holding up? What's the sentiment in Israel right now? Well, I,
9: I, I would say that this has been a huge wake-up call to the peace activists, the left. They, They always said to themselves, if you just give them more education, if you just give them more economy, if you just benefit them this way or that, well, guess what? It was the so-called innocent Gazan civilians working in Israel who drew the maps for the Hamas terrorists so that they would know which family had children, which family had a dog. It was just it's beyond a level of barbarism that Americans are prepared to understand, much less accept.
1: And you spoke a bit before about the genocide case against Israel brought to the world court by South Africa. What does this say about that court and the UN of which the court is a part?
9: It's a racist, demonic organization. I mean, look at the United Nations. It's a so-called democracy of which less than half of its members are actually democratic countries so it's a collection of dictators and despots setting the agenda which of course means that they exist to cover for their own human rights violations that's exactly what's going on now in the international court of justice the Uh, The South Africans are taking a break from their own racist bigotry between blacks and whites in that country in order to demonize the only country in the world that ever imported black Africans at its own expense to save those black Africans from persecution and make them free people. There's any number of Ethiopian, black Ethiopian women soldiers in the IDF who you can find on social media setting the record straight for anybody who really cares to hear the truth because they know better than anybody that Israel's the one country where everybody is respected regardless of race or color.
1: All right, Rabbi Yaakov Menken, Managing Director at the Coalition for Jewish Values. Thank you so much. Thank you. Police in Philadelphia are looking for the person who vandalized a Holocaust memorial in the city. Yesterday, we want to warn you, some of the images you are about to see may be disturbing. The vandalism occurred at the Horowitz Wasserman Holocaust Memorial Plaza. Someone's spraying a swastika on a wall of the building.
0: Police say the suspect was wearing a ski mask so their face could not be seen. Officials with the memorial plaza say workers will remove the swastika as soon as possible. Coming up, the White House gives an update Sunday on the health condition of Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Find out how Austin is doing and his level of communication with the Biden administration.
1: And Texas authorities say they're not to blame for the drowning of three immigrants. This after the White House suggested the Lone Star State is partially responsible for their deaths.
0: And a Freedom Information request forces the CDC to turn over COVID vaccine safety data. Find out what type of data the CDC hoped to keep private.
1: Heavy snow blanketed roads, driveways, and streets over the weekend. This after a severe winter storm brought many cities in the United States to a near standstill. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the cold snap.
4: Dangerous freezing temperatures affected sports events and travel across the country. Driving in Oklahoma on Sunday was a matter of utmost caution with nearly whiteout conditions. Roads in Wapalo, Iowa were nearly impassable as snow drifts and ice covered the roadways. In Portland, Oregon, a winter storm caused a tree to smash a police cruiser. Over a hundred trees toppled near Portland on Saturday, including one that fell on a house and killed a man. On the other side of the country in Portland, Maine, a neighborhood landmark was washed away during a record high tide. Millions were under the threat of flooding from days of heavy rain and snow. An airport in Buffalo is hit by fierce winds and snow-covered runways, forcing it to cancel over 100 flights. And the Buffalo Bills-Pittsburgh Steelers NFL playoff game had to be postponed from Sunday to Monday. Here, steam from a large cloud of water vapor hovers over Lake Michigan as an Arctic blast from Canada swept across the United States. The blast led to power outages for hundreds of thousands of customers in the Northeast and Pacific Northwest. The Arctic storms also left four dead. The National Weather Service has issued a stark warning with over 95 million people under windchill advisories and some states expecting windchills to plummet to a bone-chilling minus 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: As candidates make their last appeals to voters, Iowans are weighing their words and deciding how to cast their votes. Let's hear what they had to say.
4: The Iowa GOP caucus is finally here. Candidates have braved the harsh weather conditions to make their final pleas to residents of Iowa.
8: We go to the local high school. In my case, it's up at Madrid, Iowa. And we'll caucus up there. And boy, it's going to be cold tonight because that's out in the open, open fields. We're going ahead,
10: and uh, we expect that many people will, uh, will turn out. Of course, we want people to be careful, uh, but uh, we think that uh, turnout will be strong.
4: What are Hawkeye state voters looking for in their chosen candidate?
11: I really think that Trump would be the best candidate because he can deal with the world leaders and um, the
12: business aspect of things.
4: This supporter of Nikki Haley likes the candidate's chances going into the caucus.
12: I think she has a strong chance. I don't think Trump has nearly the following people think he does, or maybe I'm just hopeful. Um, and of the remaining candidates, I think she's tra- her tra- 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 trajectory is in the right way, direction.
4: This voter has a complicated reason for supporting Vivek Ramaswamy, but it could represent a similar view that others share.
8: If I voted for Trump last time. Um, I just don't think they're going to let him win. I, and, and honestly, What I would love to see is, I would love to see Trump as president again, and I would love to see uh, Vivek as vice president.
4: This supporter of Ron DeSantis sees the Florida governor as someone who can unite Republicans.
13: We also feel like he's someone that can help unite the party instead of tearing it down. Uh, So for us, that's a really big piece. Um, In terms of of the Republican movement, I feel like DeSantis really is uh, someone who we can be excited about. Uh, I think he has a lot of what Trump offered initially without a lot of the negative criticism uh, that Trump would follow with after.
4: GOP supporters have a wide variety of reasons for getting behind their chosen candidate. Now only time will tell which candidate had the broadest appeal across Iowa.
1: For analysis of the significance of the Iowa caucuses, we're joined by Drew Allen, author of America's Last Stand and host of The Drew Allen Show podcast. Drew Allen, thank you so much for joining us. Why do the Iowa caucuses always seem to get so much attention every year?
14: Well, it's the first one, and everyone wants to hang their hat on Iowa because it's the first primary, the caucus out of the gate and you know it can change and have some influence i guess people think in terms of momentum for their campaigns, but it's it's really greatly exaggerated because historically it doesn't often predict who the nominee is actually going to be. In fact, the last time it happened, I think was 2000 with George W. Bush. He won in Iowa and then he went on to become the nominee, and then two, well, you know, 2020 with with Trump as well. But it, it typically doesn't work out that way. And it's nothing against Iowa or the caucus system or the voters. Typically, you've got you know 10 to 15 different candidates in there, and it's a long season. And, and you're getting to know them. I, I think the big difference here is Republicans already have their candidate, and Haley, DeSantis, Ramaswamy are trying to convince voters to change their mind, whereas typically voters' minds aren't made up, if that makes sense. Sure, yeah. Um, now, former President Donald Trump has a nearly 50
1: point lead, like we're sort of alluding to here, over second place holder Ron DeSantis. Um, he has just about 12, just over 12%. What does that say about the importance of the GOP primaries this year?
14: Well, I think many people think they're a waste of time. I don't often agree personally with the RNC. But after their fourth debate on December sixth, they made the decision that they weren't going to host any additional debates in 2024. And I think that's representative of a feeling out there that Trump is not beatable. And that's why you're seeing this exaggeration of the importance of Iowa. In many ways it is really important for Haley or DeSantis, because in DeSantis's case he's put to his credit, he's put everything he can into Iowa. And, you know, he's battling a narrative that Trump is unbeatable. And he has to win Iowa if he's going to give justification for the continuation of his campaign. But I think at the end of the day, the best analogy to explain what's going on is Deion Sanders and that Colorado Colorado Boulder football season. You know, they had a big upset over TCU. But at the end of the day, it's a long season and they were never going to become national champions. I think that DeSantis, Haley, Ramaswamy, they're battling the same thing, even if they were to pull off a miracle in Iowa or even New Hampshire. It's not indicative that they're going to convince enough voters to abandon Trump. It's just, it's just math, I think. And what impact could all the oddities
1: we're seeing with this election have on future election cycles?
14: Oh, that's 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 a good one. I mean, uh, to be honest, I have a hard time thinking past twenty twenty four just because of its significant significance in this country. I mean, it's my opinion. You know, I, I I've written about it in my book that. You know, 2024 is truly, you know, people say this all the time, it truly is an election like no other. It's an inflection point in our history. And if we we can't win, if Republicans can't win in 2024, if Trump doesn't win in 2024, um, in my opinion, and a lot of people's opinions, I think uh, the economy, national security bears that out, this country's in a lot of trouble.
1: All right, Drew Allen, thank you so much.
0: NTD News will bring you live coverage of the 2024 Iowa caucuses today. Our dedicated reporters and esteemed expert panel will provide real-time updates and in-depth analysis. Join Steve
1: Lance and Tiffany Meyer on The Nation Decides 2024 as they break down the action live at 8 p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be a historic night, so be sure to tune in.
0: When voters hit the primaries in Illinois in March, one prominent name will be missing from the ballot. Presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy's campaign confirmed his name won't appear on the Republican ballot in that state. Senior campaign advisor Tricia McLaughlin said the fact Ramaswamy's name won't be on the ballot isn't news, noting that the decision was announced last month.
1: Illinois' delegate count makes up about 2.5% of the national total Republicans seeking to appear on the presidential preference ballot in the state need between 3,000 and 5,000 signatures.
0: Some are speculating on whether Ramaswamy couldn't gather enough signatures or if it's due to Illinois being considered a low return on investment. And President Biden's name is also in the news regarding the Illinois ballot. Two objections were filed in the state aiming to remove the president from the Democratic primary ballot there.
1: The first objection argues that Biden violated Illinois election law by having his candidacy statement notarized by someone not authorized in the state. The second objection invokes section three of the 14th Amendment known as the Insurrection Clause.
0: Those who filed it argue that Biden is ineligible due to actions against the United States they say constitutes providing aid or comfort to the enemies. The petitioners point to border security under Biden.
1: And the White House has an update on Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. National Security spokesman John Kirby said yesterday his doctors think he may still need some additional care. Kirby said there is routine, regular communication between President Biden and Austin and that the secretary remains actively involved and engaged from the hospital. The Pentagon on Saturday said Austin remains hospitalized and is in good condition. No specific release data was given. Austin's failure to tell Biden he was hospitalized drew criticism from lawmakers and caught the White House by surprise. He was hospitalized on January 1, but President Biden and top officials were informed on January 4th. Some lawmakers have called for Austin's resignation. And a review has been ordered to assess communication procedures. Texas is not taking the blame for the recent drowning of three migrants in the Rio Grande. Democrats accused the state's National Guard of barring access to Border Patrol agents during the incident.
0: A woman and two children died on Friday attempting to illegally cross into the U.S. near Shelby Park. On the same day, the Texas National Guard announced they had taken control of the public park.
1: Homeland Security later claimed the National Guard of Barrier Border Patrol agents from entering the park to save the three immigrants. The White House made similar claims. Texas Governor Greg Abbott on Sunday said the drownings had already occurred when Border Patrol requested access to the park.
0: The Texas Military Department initially said, additionally said that the drowning took place on Mexico's side of the riverbank. Mexican authorities reportedly indicated no assistance was required. The CDC has to share data on COVID-19 vaccine issues. A federal court has ordered the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to share the information. The CDC must provide nearly 8 million entries from V-safe, a vaccine surveillance system. Each entry is a free-form description by someone who had symptoms or side effects from the vaccine. Earlier, data revealed that 25 percent of participants missed normal activities like school or work due to post-vaccination problems, and 8 percent sought medical attention. The CDC resisted releasing the text descriptions citing privacy concerns. However, the court ruled that the CDC must produce the records, redacting where necessary by February 15th. The move benefits those who faced vaccination problems and independent researchers.
1: A federal judge in Florida ruled on Friday that arresting a man for having a firearm in a post office violated his Second Amendment rights. The judge referred to a 2022 Supreme Court ruling stating that citizens have the right to carry handguns in public for self-defense. The case involved the postal worker who was indicted for possessing a firearm in a federal facility. The judge dismissed the charge, saying historical records do not support banning firearms in post offices. The judge noted that since uh, since the creation of the post office, mail carriers have faced risk of violence. The decision is seen as a victory for gun rights advocates and followers, and follows other recent wins against gun control measures in California and Oregon.
0: What was up with the door plug that fell off an Alaska Airlines flight? Investigators with the National Transportation Safety Board are beginning their work to examine it. An aerospace engineer and a chief technical advisor unpacked the door plug on Sunday at the agency's headquarters in Washington, D.C.,
1: The Boeing 737 MAX 9 jet had to make an emergency landing in Portland shortly after taking off on January 5th. The door plug flew off in mid-air and that that left a gaping hole in the plane.
0: Coming up, Congressional leaders unveil a short-term spending bill that would keep the federal government open until March. Now comes the rush to get it through Congress.
1: And we take a closer look at natural gas and power prices as america, as america deals with severe winter conditions
0: a u.s delegation is in taiwan to show support for the incoming government find out what they have to say about taiwan's presidential election that just took place more in just a moment here on ntd news today House Speaker Mike Johnson and Senate Leader Chuck Schumer unveiled a new short-term spending bill yesterday. It would keep the government funded in a two-step process through March 1st and then again through March 8th. The proposal would replace another short-term funding bill set to expire this Friday.
1: Schumer says he expects to bring the new bill to the Senate as early as tomorrow. House conservatives are upset with the legislation, with several voicing their concerns on social media. If passed, the bill would fund several agencies through March first. The rest of the government, including the Defense Department, would be funded through March eighth.
0: The stopgap proposal must still make it through Congress before heading to President Biden's desk. And joining us now is NTD Business host Don Ma to discuss natural gas prices.
1: U.S. natural gas and power prices hit multiple high, year, multi-year highs recently amid cold weather. Tell us more about what's happening here, Don.
5: Right. So a deep freeze uh, settled in across uh, much of the country uh, Sunday. And advisories and wind chill warnings were in effect Sunday for somewhere around 100 million Americans, as mentioned earlier in the show. And amid all this, U.S. gas demand is forecasted to reach record highs uh, this uh, this week, and uh, this is according to financial firm LSEG data. But despite the increased demand in U.S. gas output, uh, sorry, in U.S. gas, uh, the output actually was tr- on track to uh, drop, actually. U.S. natural gas output fell to a 11-month Uh, low on Sunday and this is due to the cold weather freezing wells and uh, other equipment across the country which are needed uh, by some uh, Producers to in order to uh, get the natural gas Um, So in some places, natural gas prices actually shot up 400 percent. So very significant there. Uh, So this is at places like uh, the key U.S. Henry hub in Louisiana. And sometimes rising uh, natural gas prices can actually be an indicator for traders um, who are potentially worried about uh, high demand and low supply.
0: All right, so what does this indicate about power prices during the cold weather?
5: Yeah, so in terms of power prices, you know, as the cold weather moves to the central and eastern parts of the country over the next few days, uh, a specific subset of electricity prices in in the mid-Columbia hub in the Pacific Northwest soared to a record high. Uh, So we're we're seeing over $1,000 per megawatt hour according to LSEG data. And some comparison for you for this number, for some context. So in 2023, the average price was only around $100. And if you compare that to uh, 2022, the prices hovered around only $50. So a dramatic increase in power prices over there. And eyes are on now Texas, because if you remember back in 2021, because of severe weather, uh, the electrical grid in the state s- suffered significant failure. Uh, but this time around, according to the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, it uh, seems like uh, the grid is apparently in good shape this time around. Uh, So that's good news.
1: And Don, prices might not be the only thing impacted by the weather, right?
5: Yeah, it seems like uh, travel is also impacted uh, by the severe weather. Um, But other than that, uh, there's also news uh, coming from uh, China that uh, the Chinese military and its state are still able to acquire NVIDIA chips despite U.S. bans over the past year. Uh, Chinese military organizations uh, and state-run AI research institutes and universities have been buying small quantities of NVIDIA semiconductors banned from exports to China. And this is according to a Reuters investigation. Uh, the sales are by largely unknown Chinese suppliers within China. Now, buying or selling high-end U.S. chips is not illegal in China, and the public, uh, publicly available tender documents show that dozens of Chinese entities have bought And taking receipt of NVIDIA semiconductors since restrictions were imposed. A couple updates there. All right. Thank you, Don. Thanks. Thanks.
0: And Taiwan's president elect is exactly the man its communist neighbor doesn't want in power. William Lai's win makes the first election of the year a triumph against the totalitarian regime in Beijing. And it also marks an unprecedented third consecutive term for Lai's party. the DPP.
1: In his victory speech, Lai reiterated Taiwan's direction, expressing determination to uphold democracy and freedom on the island, even under threats from the Chinese Communist Party, and that Taiwan is not a bargaining chip between the United States and China.
13: Taiwan just chose the man that will shape his relations with China and the U.S. for the next four years, William Lai. In his victory speech, Lai thanked Taiwan's 23 million people.
7: Between democracy and authoritarianism, we will stand on the side of democracy. The Republic of China, Taiwan will continue to walk side by side with democracies from around the world. Worth noting, Beijing did not
13: favor Lai to win. China has framed the election as Taiwan's choice between peace and war. And the regime has said Lai would bring Taiwan closer to war. The communist regime sees Taiwan as part of China, despite never having controlled it. Lai has been a staunch defender of Taiwan's self-governing status.
7: I will act in accordance with our democratic and free constitutional order in a manner that is balanced and maintains the status quo. At the same time, we're also determined to safeguard Taiwan from continuing threats and intimidation from China. An expert said that by choosing Lai, the people of Taiwan hope to keep
13: the status quo and reject Beijing's rule.
7: They do not embrace a simplistic binary view of war and peace and aspire to forge their own path. Ultimately, we don't necessarily have to see Taiwan as being sandwiched between the United States and China in their competition.
13: Lai won 40 percent of the vote. Hou Yuyi from the main opposition party taking 33 percent. Third-party candidate Ko Benzhu won twenty-six percent.
5: We may be sad, but we must not be discouraged. We must transform the power of indignation into the forces of supervision over the Democratic Progressive Party."
13: His victory marks the first time ever that a political party in Taiwan gets to stay in power after two terms. Lai will be sworn in this May, succeeding current President Tsai Ing-wen. During his campaign, Lai pledged to work closely with the U.S. and bolster Taiwan's defenses. And U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken congratulated William Lai on his victory writing on X that the U.S. also congratulates the Taiwanese people for participating in free and fair elections and demonstrating the strengths of their democratic system.
0: So how does the self-governed island protect its elections? The answer? Vote in person. Prior to the election, registered voters receive a notice telling them where to cast their ballots within their own district.
1: In Taiwan, each person carries a special stamp that is unique to themselves, just like a social security number. Those who forget to bring it, the poll sites, can replace it with a signature or fingerprint. Unlike the United States, there are no mail-in ballots, absentee ballots, proxy voting or electronic voting, and all ballots are counted by hand. The process is open to the public.
0: Following Taiwan's presidential election, an unofficial delegation of former U.S. officials visited the island. They met with top Taiwanese officials. The Biden administration sent the delegation in a show of support for the government. The delegation includes former National Security Advisor Stephen Hadley and former Deputy Secretary of State James Steinberg.
1: The former officials met with Taiwan's outgoing President Tsai Ing-wen. They praised Taiwan's democratic process and called it a shining example for the world.
0: Tsai thanked the delegation for visiting and said she hopes U.S.-Taiwan relations will continue to move forward in the new year.
1: Hadley, meanwhile, reaffirmed that the American commitment to Taiwan is rock-solid and bipartisan.
4: We look forward to continuity in the relationship between Taiwan and the United States under the new administration, and for common efforts to preserve cross-strait peace and stability.
0: The U.S. delegation also met with Taiwan's president-elect William Lai, and vice president-elect shall begin.
1: Lai thanked the U.S. for its long-term support of Taiwan. He said he believes the relationship will move in a stable direction and that it can become an important force to safeguard the peace and prosperity of the Indo-Pacific.
0: Lai promised to continue to defend peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait, where he's sworn in, when he's sworn in as president.
3: Well, I hope the United States can continue to support Taiwan and deepen cooperation between the United States and Taiwan for our mutual benefit for the safety and prosperity of the region.
1: Political analysts say there will likely be rocky relations ahead for Taiwan and communist China given the election results.
2: Beijing is going to look at DPP that has about 40 percent or so of the votes only and loses its majority in the parliament. And Beijing's going to think maybe if just pressures Taiwan a little bit harder, you'll be enough to make a difference in the next election. And so Beijing has reason to want to push rather than trying to extend the of Branch. So that's going to entail uh, instability likely uh, going forward.
0: Wen Ti-Sung from Atlantic Council, Council's Global China Hub pointed to the breakdown of the votes.
1: He said since neither of the two major parties won the majority in parliament, there is a decisive third party around.
0: And that this would involve more bargaining in the policy-making process when it comes to cross-strait relations.
1: Sung said that Beijing will only provide more stabilizing moves towards Taiwan if it thinks the next government of Taiwan has staying power.
0: And in more China news, Taiwan is, as we heard, getting a new president, and tensions are already brewing.
1: With no majority in parliament, we explore how the incoming leader plans to navigate the mounting pressure from Beijing. Plus, the president-elect is hoping for some U.S. support as a group of former senior U.S. officials dropping by the island.
0: Curious about what Biden has to say about Saturday's elections? That and more tonight at 9.30, only on NTD's China In Focus with Tiffany Meyer. Up next, a volcano eruption sets multiple houses on fire as molten lava reaches a village. We bring you an update on the latest eruption in Iceland.
1: Thousands of German farmers are blocking roads with trucks and tractors protesting plans to phase out agricultural subsidies. We bring you more on the failed attempt by a German official to address the crowd when we return.
0: Much-anticipated Iowa caucuses happening tonight. Trump has a lead in the polls, but cold weather could knock turnout.
1: Joining us now from Des Moines, our very own Iris Tau. Iris, what's it like on the ground there, and what should we expect tonight?
12: right before the caucus by the Des Moines Register and others, which is a very well-respected poll. It shows that Trump is leading far ahead ahead of anybody else. He's enjoying some 48% of support among likely Iowa caucus goers. Nikki Haley, meanwhile, comes in second, getting some 20% of support. DeSantis is polling third with some 18 16% of support. Meanwhile, Ramaswamy is only polling at 8%. And while the poll shows that Nikki Haley is gaining d- some momentum here, That also shows some concerning signs for her as it shows that enthusiasm among her supporters is actually falling behind the enthusiasm of that of Trump supporters or DeSantis supporters. And that could be a very important factor, especially given the temperatures here tonight with the wind chills, temperatures will drop to as low as negative 30 degrees, and it's going to be the coldest caucus night ever here in Iowa. So the turnout will really matter tonight. Meanwhile, all the candidates are calling on their supporters to go out brave the weather to go out to caucus. Trump saying at a rally yesterday here in Iowa that even if you go vote, go caucus, and pass away, it's worth it. And Nikki Haley is saying that it's truly a moment to change history too important to stay at home for. So a lot to watch for tonight. And only when it comes to who's going to come out. Second place to Trump also really how many people are actually going to go out to caucus. I've talked to some voters over this weekend asking them how this weather might affect their willingness to go out. Some tell me that they're, they, they're used to this. They're Iowans and they don't mind the cold. But some others tell me because of the icy road conditions as you can see here. And also because maybe some people have kids at home they might not actually go out if it becomes too cold or chilly. So a lot to watch for tonight, as we know you are watching. President Biden's campaign saying they are closely monitoring the results tonight, too. So let's see what you know we find out at around 9 or 10 Eastern time tonight, which is when results will start coming in.
0: Back to you. All right, thank you so much, Iris. And now some short headlines from Germany, Switzerland, and other European countries volcano near Iceland's capital is causing problems again. A small town at the foot of the volcano had to be evacuated again as the volcano erupted on Sunday.
1: This comes after its initial eruption and the first evacuation in November. Molten lava flows reached the outskirts of the small fishing town called Grindavik on Sunday. This set several houses on fire.
0: In recent weeks, authorities built barriers of earth and rock to try to prevent lava from reaching Grindavik. But the latest eruption has penetrated the town's defense. The town is about 25 miles from the capital. This is big. This is serious. It's basically as bad as can possibly get. I'm born in this town. I actually live in the house that I'm born in. And it's kind of, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough thought to think that, that this town might be over. Ukrainian president Volodymyr Zelensky is arriving in Switzerland today. That's for a state visit before heading to Davos to participate in the World Economic Forum.
1: Zelensky is set to meet Swiss president today and at Davos tomorrow, he will speak in person at the forum.
0: Russia meanwhile warns that talks in Davos on Ukraine's peace proposals would receive re- achieve nothing. They say that's because the Kremlin is not part of the discussions.
1: U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, French President Emmanuel Macron and many others are set to attend this week's World Economic Forum. They're reportedly putting talks to end conflicts in Gaza and Ukraine at the top of the agenda.
0: Farmers in Germany are continuing their protests today. Some 10,000 farmers are in the nation's capital, filling out one of its central avenues with trucks and tractors.
1: They're against plans to phase out agricultural subsidies. The government is taking that step as it scrambles to fix its finances. Farmers say this will put them out of business.
0: Germany's finance minister was met with a crowd of booing farmers when he tried addressing protesters today.
7: Everyone must take part in this. The state subsidies and the
1: value-added tax, which was reduced during the pandemic, will expire. Americans across the country are remembering civil rights icon Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. The day will be marked all over the country with events, including a wreath-laying ceremony at the MLK Memorial in Washington, D.C. In King's home state of Georgia, a commemorative service will take place at the historic Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta. The holiday always falls on the third Monday of January this year. It coincides with King's actual birthday.
0: A 22-year-old Air Force pilot was crowned Miss America in Orlando, Florida last night. Colorado's Madison Marsh became the first active duty Air Force officer ever to win the national title. Marsh impressed the judges with her dedication to learning and leadership. She earned her pilot's license at age 16 and is a master's student at the Harvard Kennedy School.
1: 51 contestants from every state participated in the pageant. The event also saw a separate competition for Miss America's Teen. A 16-year-old from North Carolina came out as the winner.
0: If you have any news tips or feedback for our show, please feel free to email us at news.today at ntd.com. Welcome to NTD News Today.
1: Here are today's top stories.
0: It's just over 100 days since the October 7th attacks by Hamas. How are U.S. lawmakers marking this Solomon day?
1: Iowans are braving the cold today for the first round of voting in the GOP primary. What are Hawkeye State voters looking for in their chosen candidates?
0: What are the biggest things to watch for tonight in the Iowa caucus? We talked to Epic Times columnist Roger Simon to find out.
1: A US delegation is in Taiwan to show support for the incoming government. What they have to say about Taiwan's new president.
0: In the NFL, a blizzard in Buffalo has the team reaching out to fans for help. NTD's Dave Martin joins us to explain.
1: Exactly 15 years ago, the miracle on the Hudson. We'll take a moment to review the dramatic footage of the emergency water landing.
2: This is NTD News
3: Today, live from our NTD Global Headquarters. Here are Stefania Cox and Chris Beers.
0: Breaking news. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin has been released from the hospital. That's after a two week stay for complications from prostate cancer surgery.
1: He will continue to recover and work remotely before returning to the Pentagon full time. Austin's doctors are optimistic about his prognosis.
0: The delay in notifying officials of his hospitalization sparked controversy. Some lawmakers called for an investigation.
1: The Defense Department says it has committed to better transparency. The Department Inspector General in particular plans to review notification processes.
0: And as candidates make their last appeals to voters, Iowans are weighing their words and deciding how to cast their votes. Let's hear what they had to say.
4: The Iowa GOP caucus is finally here. Candidates have braved the harsh weather conditions to make their final pleas to residents of Iowa.
8: We go to the local high school. In my case, it's up at Madrid, Iowa. And we'll caucus up there. And boy, it's gonna be cold tonight because that's out in the
10: open open field. We're going ahead and uh, we expect that many people will, uh, will turn out. Of course, we want people to be careful, uh, but uh, we think that uh, turnout will be strong.
4: What are Hawkeye state voters looking for in their chosen candidate?
11: I really think that Trump would be the best candidate because he can deal with the world leaders and um, the business aspect of
12: things.
4: This supporter of Nikki Haley likes the candidate's chances going into the caucus.
12: I think she has a strong chance. I don't think Trump has nearly the following people think he does, or maybe I'm just hopeful. Um, and of the remaining candidates, I think she's tra- her tra- 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 trajectory is in the right way, direction.
4: This voter has a complicated reason for supporting Vivek Ramaswamy, but it could represent a similar view that others share.
8: I voted for Trump last time. Um, I just don't think they're going to let him win. I, and, and honestly, What I would love to see is, I would love to see Trump as president again, and I would love to see uh, Vivek as vice president.
4: This supporter of Ron DeSantis sees the Florida governor as someone who can unite Republicans. We also feel like he's
13: someone that can help unite the party instead of tearing it down. Uh, So for us that's a really big piece. Um, In terms of of the Republican movement, I feel like DeSantis really is uh, someone who we can be excited about. Uh, I think he has a lot of what Trump offered initially without a lot of the negative criticism uh, that Trump would follow with after.
4: GOP supporters have a wide variety of reasons for getting behind their chosen candidate. Now only time will tell which candidate had the broadest appeal across Iowa.
0: When voters hit the primaries in Illinois in March, one prominent name will be missing from the ballot. Presidential candidate Vivek Ramaswamy's campaign confirmed his name won't appear on the Republican ballot in that state. Senior campaign advisor Tricia McLaughlin said the fact Ramaswamy's name won't be on the ballot isn't news, noting that the decision was announced last month.
1: Illinois' delegate count makes up about 2.5% of the national total. Republicans seeking to appear on the presidential preference ballot in the state need between 3,000 and 5,000 signatures.
0: Some are speculating on whether Ramaswamy couldn't gather enough signatures or if it's due to Illinois being considered a low return on investment. And President Biden's name is also in the news regarding the Illinois ballot. Two objections were filed in the state aiming to remove the president from the Democratic primary ballot there.
1: The first objection argues that Biden violated Illinois election law by having his candidacy statement notarized by someone not authorized in the state. The second objection invokes Section 3 of the 14th Amendment known as the Insurrection Clause.
0: Those who filed it argue that Biden is ineligible due to actions against the United States they say constitutes providing aid or comfort to enemies. The petitioners point to border security under Biden. And here live to discuss the latest in Iowa, we have political strategist and former congressional candidate Raven Harrison. Raven, many candidates had to cancel their rallies over the weekend, but their campaigns are still outdoor knocking and they're doing TV appearances. Could the shift impact voter turnout, do you think?
11: It could, but I think what you're seeing now is the real essence, the real meat of politicians doing what politicians do. They're all on the ground. It is getting drowned and dirty. If ever there is a time for popcorn, it's in Iowa right now. The candidates are taking uh, shots across the bow, and they are really making this last-ditch effort to sway the voters.
0: Now, Ramaswamy said at one campaign event that he thinks that the weather could work to his advantage. How could weather like this impact one candidate over another?
11: Well, you're going to see the the coming together. The caucus is about selecting the delegates, so I disagree with Ramaswamy on this one, that this is Iowa. They are used to this cold. They are used to rugged winters, and they're going to show up. This is one of the most pivotal elections in our lifetime, and I don't think cold weather. I think they're going to mitten up and head out and, uh,
0: and select who they want to be president. So considering the latest polls, the weather, as you mentioned, may not be exactly as Ramaswamy has put it, but also considering the overall momentum in Iowa. How do you expect the results to pan out in the end? Can we expect any surprises, do you think?
11: What I think you're going to look is what's following the right trajectory as one of the uh, voters said, but you're going to see Trump pretty much leading this. Iowa is the heartland. This is America's breadbasket in the middle of our country. They are farmers, they are kitchen table issue voters. That means border, economy, and uh, their 401ks, and that's what has to be the topic. So I think you're gonna see President Trump lock in the nomination. You're gonna see Nikki Haley surge to second, and you're gonna see DeSantis and uh, Vivek drop to third and fourth respectively, and just kind of stall out the campaigns, leaving them with who are they going to endorse.
0: Right, so it really is in a way a race for the second place. How important is this second place for DeSantis and for Haley? This time.
11: It is critical for both of them because this is how the donors energize. You know, no donor is going to continue to support a candidate that doesn't have legs, that can't reach the ultimate goal. Nikki Haley is well funded. She's surging. However, most of her support is coming from Democrats, which is giving the right a little bit of uneasiness. DeSantis just seems to have a message that's not connecting and and voters are overwhelmingly just moving away from it. So I think that's what you're going to see right now is it's going to get a little dirtier. It's going to go. Shots are definitely fired on the ground down there. And we're going to see ultimately this be a vying
0: for vice presidential contenders. Now, considering recent polls showing Haley doing pretty well in relation to a hypothetical matchup with Biden. How important is a big success for Trump here?
11: Well, it's important that he, he resonate and reconnect with the voters. They've, that's usually been Trump cu- country historically, and I think you're going to see that again. The voters want him to do what he has already done, which is basically the cross that they all carry. They're all promising to do what Trump has done in terms of delivering an economy, a secure border. So right now, it's going to be his to lock in, and they're going to need to position themselves for what the next, will, what the next leg will
0: hold. All right, Raven Harrison, political strategist and former congressional candidate. Thank you so much. Thank you. For more on what to expect tonight in the Iowa caucuses, NTD's Iris Tao spoke with Epic Times columnist Roger Simon. He's the director of Epic TV's The Presidential Roller Coaster 2024. Both are on the ground in Iowa. Take a look. So, Roger, you've been following the candidates pretty closely.
12: Tell us what's the biggest thing to watch for tonight.
8: Well, it's an interesting question because I, uh, the Iowa caucuses don't have a very good history in picking the winner. So what you watch for tonight may be an illusion. But because I speaking specifically, um, it's been years, except for last time in 2020, Trump won here then. But if you start going back... The winner, uh, all the way back for about 20 years, was hardly ever the win- the person who got nominated. So keep that in mind, first of all. Uh, secondly, the real question is, who will come out number two? I mean, that, uh, that could be fatal. Uh, you know, Rhonda Sanders, who has been tipped as the primary competition for Trump for like well over a year it seems like this election has been going on most of our lifetime Uh, (laughs) but now people are actually going to caucus or vote in whichever you want to call it Uh, anyway whether it's going to be Nikki Haley or or Alan DeSantis winning and coming in second is what to watch out for number one number two is the difference in um, how far ahead Trump is. Now, that's an interesting question because the mainstream media will tell you all the time he did not go far enough. He failed. Even if he gets 90% of the vote, they'll say that. So be aware of that. That's a very interesting thing. But they have two reasons. One. They're scared for their jobs if Trump wins. Second second reason is that they want a horse race, because the media wants a horse race to get your attention. Because if it, if it looks like uh, Trump does get well over 50%, let's say, uh, it's really over, because this is really the last best chance. The final thing that people should look at as is the ascending Nikki Haley campaign, which has been very successful. Um, the old... Um, um Bill Clinton ally there, Dick Morris, says that that, he, that she's hijacked this primary from, from Trump. I don't believe that's true. On the other hand, she certainly has an ascendant campaign, and her campaign has come largely through independents that can caucus here. And those independents are often Democrats in disguise. So there's a lot of strange things about our primary system, many, many states are allowing uh, people who aren't necessarily in that party to vote in the primary of that party or to caucus in the primary of that party. I happen to be against that because I think it distorts it and allows for a lot of the cheating that people are uh, you know, worried about with justification. So, uh, but keep that very much in mind. Who really did vote for whom? You don't know.
12: You had several in-depth conversations with Vivek Ramaswamy. He's not polling very well in the polls, but do you think he has any chance of emerging in tonight's caucus?
8: Well, you know, Vivek has worked his head off here in Iowa. He has done uh, what's called the full Grassley after Senator Grassley. Senator Grassley goes and campaigns in all 99 counties of Iowa, pretty hard job. And Vivek has done the full Grassley twice. Sort of like Novak Djokovic winning all the 1,000 tournaments twice. Anyway, what it, 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 so that just shows you how hard he's working. Whether he will come through. if he, he has to really, I think, get more than 10% of the vote, come in a decent third to really have a claim to staying in this campaign. So we'll be finding out later tonight how that happens
12: you mentioned first that, you know, the Iowa caucus is not always accurate when it comes to predicting who's going to be the president. So how do you think tonight will potentially influence the 2024 elections? Will it have any actual solid impact?
8: Well, the, the impact will come from who, who comes in on the Republican side in number two position because that person will have a claim that they can go mano a mano against Trump. Whether they can, we will find out. Uh, if If it's a number two that gets like, is 30 or 40 points behind Trump anyway being number two, I don't think it's gonna mean much. But if it's someone who gets within 20 of Trump, at least there'll be a little more action as we move to New Hampshire and then South Carolina. Uh, so that we should, it's a numbers game, and that's what we should be looking for.
0: Roger Simon, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. TD News will bring you the live coverage of the 2024 Iowa caucuses today. Our dedicated reporters and esteemed expert panels will provide real-time updates and in-depth analysis.
1: Join Steve Lance and Tiffany Meyer on The Nation Decides 2024 as they break down the action live at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. It's going to be a historic night, so be sure to tune in.
0: A judge has given former President Trump another week to testify. The case is his New York defamation trial where he could face millions of dollars in damages related to sexual abuse allegations of a columnist in the 1990s. Trump can testify as late as January 22nd, even if the trial otherwise wraps up by January 18th. The judge previously refused a request by Trump to put off the trial's start by a week. The timeline conflicts with Trump's mother-in-law's funeral. The judge said the delay would have been an inconvenience to lawyers, court staff, and prospective jurors, but he's allowing Trump to delay his own schedule.
1: President Biden's re-election campaign says it raised more than $97 million in the fourth quarter. The campaign also says that it entered the election year with $117 million on hand. According to the campaign, that is the most for any Democratic candidate at this point in the cycle. The vast majority of the donations in the fourth quarter were under $200, and the average was about $42. As far as the Republican candidates go, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley's campaign says it raised $24 million in the fourth quarter. Neither former President Trump nor Florida Governor Ron DeSantis have yet to release their fourth quarter fundraising figures. Biden may have competition. Billionaire hedge fund manager Bill Ackman plans to donate $1 million to support Rep. Dean Phillips, a Democrat running for president. Ackman says he decided to increase his original donation after Phillips spoke to employees at Ackman's company. The businessman sees the US as poorly managed with issues like high debt and healthcare costs. He believes an entrepreneur and successful business leader like Phillips has sensible ideas to address these problems. Phillips is considered a long shot against current President Biden. In a January 9th poll of Democratic voters conducted by the University of New Hampshire, Biden was ahead with 69%, while Phillips had
0: 7%. Coming up, Texas authorities say they're not to blame for the drowning of three immigrants. This after the White House suggested the Lone Star State is partially responsible for their deaths.
1: And a Freedom of Information Act request forces the CDC to turn over COVID vaccine safety data. Find out what type of data the agency was reluctant to reveal. More in just a moment here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. Heavy snow, blanketed roads, driveways and streets over the weekend. A severe winter storm brought many cities in the United States to a near standstill. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more on the cold snap.
4: Dangerous freezing temperatures affected sports events and travel across the country. Driving in Oklahoma on Sunday was a matter of utmost caution with nearly whiteout conditions. Roads in Wapalo, Iowa were nearly impassable as snow drifts and ice covered the roadways. In Portland, Oregon, a winter storm caused a tree to smash a police cruiser. Over a hundred trees toppled near Portland on Saturday, including one that fell on a house and killed a man. On the other side of the country in Portland, Maine, a neighborhood landmark was washed away during a record high tide. Millions were under the threat of flooding from days of heavy rain and snow. An airport in Buffalo is hit by fierce winds and snow-covered runways, forcing it to cancel over 100 flights. And the Buffalo Bills-Pittsburgh Steelers NFL playoff game had to be postponed from Sunday to Monday. Here, steam from a large cloud of water vapor hovers over Lake Michigan as an Arctic blast from Canada swept across the United States. The blast led to power outages for hundreds of thousands of customers in the Northeast and Pacific Northwest. The Arctic storms also left four dead. The National Weather Service has issued a stark warning with over 95 million people under windchill advisories. And some states expecting wind chills to plummet to a bone-chilling minus 70 degrees Fahrenheit. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: Today marks exactly 100 days since the October 7th attacks by Hamas. This means 100 days of captivity for all those Hamas is still holding hostage. And to mark this anniversary, a bipartisan group of senators is planning to host the families of the hostages. Families will gather with lawmakers at the Capitol on Wednesday at a press conference calling for continued U.S. support to bring their loved ones home.
1: Meanwhile, President Biden issued a statement about the 100-day mark on Sunday. He shared his sentiment for those still in captivity. Biden vowed to continue efforts to free the hostages. Hamas is still holding up to six Americans and around 130 hostages in total.
0: And House Speaker Mike Johnson and Senate Leader Chuck Schumer unveiled a new short-term spending bill yesterday. It would keep the government funded in a two-step process through March 1st and then again through March 8th. This proposal would replace another short-term funding bill set to expire this Friday.
1: Schumer says he expects to bring the new bill to the Senate as early as tomorrow. House conservatives are upset with the legislation with several voicing their concerns on social media. If passed, the bill would fund several agencies through March 1st. The rest of the government, including the Defense Department, would be funded through March 8th.
0: The stopgap proposal must still make it through Congress before heading to President Biden's desk.
1: Texas is not taking the blame for the recent drowning of three migrants in the Rio Grande. Democrats accused the state's National Guard of barring access to Border Patrol agents during the incident.
0: A woman and two children died on Friday attempting to illegally cross into the U.S. near Shelby Park. On the same day, the Texas National Guard announced they had taken control of the public park.
1: Homeland Security later claimed the National Guard barred Border Patrol agents from entering the park to save three migrants. The White House made similar claims. Texas Governor Greg Abbott on Sunday said the drowning had already occurred when Border Patrol requested access to the park.
0: The Texas military department additionally said that the drowning took place on Mexico's side of the river bank. Mexican authorities reportedly indicated no assistance was required. The CDC has has to share data on COVID-19 vaccine issues. A federal court has ordered the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention to share the information. The CDC must provide nearly eight million entries from V-safe, a vaccine surveillance system. Each entry is a free-form description by someone who had symptoms or side effects from the vaccine. Earlier, data revealed that 25% of participants missed normal activities like school or work due to post-vaccination problems, and 8% sought medical attention. The CDC resisted releasing the text descriptions, citing privacy concerns. However, the court ruled that the CDC must produce the records, redacting where necessary, by February 15th. The move benefits to those who faced vaccination problems and independent researchers.
1: A federal judge in Florida ruled on Friday that arresting a man for having a firearm in a post office violated his Second Amendment rights. The judge referred to a 2022 Supreme Court ruling stating that citizens have the right to carry handguns in public for self-defense. The case involved a postal worker who was indicted for possessing a firearm in a federal facility. The judge dismissed the charge, saying historical records do not support banning firearms in post offices. The judge noted that since the creation of the post office, mail carriers have faced risk of violence. The decision is seen as a victory for gun rights advocates and follows other recent wins against gun control measures in California and Oregon.
0: What was up with the door plug that fell off an Alaska Airlines flight? Investigators with the National Transportation Safety Board are beginning their work to examine it. An aerospace engineer and a chief technical advisor unpacked the door plug on Sunday at the agency's headquarters in Washington, D.C.
1: The Boeing 737 MAX 9 jet had to make an emergency landing in Portland and shortly after taking off on January 5th. The door plug flew off in mid-flight and that left a gaping hole in the plane.
0: Coming up, Taiwan loses one of its few remaining diplomatic allies. What happened between Taiwan and the Pacific island nation of Nauru?
1: What has the Chinese Communist Party got to do with religious freedom in the United States? We talk with a government watchdog that has a warning for the U.S. We'll have the details soon when we return.
0: Taiwan's new president is exactly the man communist China does not want in power. William Lai's win on Saturday makes the first election of the year a triumph against the totalitarian regime in Beijing and also marks an unprecedented third consecutive term for Lai's party, the DPP.
1: In his victory speech, Lai reiterated Taiwan's direction in expressing determination to uphold democracy and freedom on the island, even under threats from the Chinese Communist Party, and that Taiwan is not a bargaining chip between the United States and China. <laughs>
13: Taiwan just chose the man that will shape his relations with China and the U.S. for the next four years, William Lai. In his victory speech,
7: Lai thanked Taiwan's 23 million people. Between democracy and authoritarianism, we will stand on the side of democracy. The Republic of China, Taiwan will continue to walk side by side with democracies from around the world. Worth noting,
13: Beijing did not favor Lai to win. China has framed the election as Taiwan's choice between peace and war, and the regime has said Lai would bring Taiwan closer to war. The communist regime sees Taiwan as part of China, despite never having
7: controlled it. Lai has been a staunch defender of Taiwan's self-governing status. I will act in accordance with our democratic and free constitutional order in a manner that is balanced and maintains the status quo. At the same time, we're also determined to safeguard Taiwan from continuing threats and intimidation from China. An expert said that by
13: choosing Lai, the people of Taiwan hope to keep the status quo and reject Beijing's rule.
7: They do not embrace a simplistic binary view of war and peace and aspire to forge their own path. Ultimately, we don't necessarily have to see Taiwan as being sandwiched between the United States and China in their competition.
13: Lai won 40% of the vote. Hou Yuyi from the main opposition party taking 33%. Third party candidate Ko Benzhu won
5: 26%. We may be sad, but we must not be discouraged. We must transform the power of indignation into the forces of supervision over the Democratic Progressive Party.
13: His victory marks the first time ever that a political party in Taiwan gets to stay in power after two terms. Lai will be sworn in this May succeeding current President Tsai Ing-wen. During his campaign, Lai pledged to work closely with the U.S. and bolster Taiwan's defenses. And U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken congratulated William Lai on his victory, writing on X that the U.S. also congratulates the Taiwanese people for participating in free and fair elections and demonstrating the strength of their democratic system.
0: So how does the self-governed island protect its elections? The answer? Vote in person. Prior to the election, registered voters receive a notice telling them where to cast their ballots within their own district.
1: In Taiwan, each person carries a special stamp that is unique to themselves, just like a social security number. Those who forget to bring it to the poll sites can replace it with a signature or a fingerprint. Unlike the United States, there are no mail-in ballots, no absentee ballots, and no electronic voting. All ballots are counted by hand. The process is open to the public, meaning anyone is allowed to watch the count.
0: And following Taiwan's presidential election, an unofficial delegation of former U.S. officials visited the island. They met with top Taiwanese officials. The Biden administration sent the delegation in a show of support for the government. The delegation includes former National Security Advisor Stephen Hadley and former Deputy Secretary of State James Steinberg.
1: The former officials met with Taiwan's outgoing president Tsai Ing-wen. They praised Taiwan's democratic process and called it a shining example for the world.
0: Tsai thanked the delegation for visiting and said she hopes U.S.-Taiwan relations will continue to move forward in the new year.
1: Hadley, meanwhile, reaffirmed that the American commitment to Taiwan is rock-solid and bipartisan.
4: We look forward to continuity in the relationship between Taiwan and the United States under the new administration and for common efforts to preserve cross-strait peace and stability.
0: The U.S. delegation also met with Taiwan's president-elect William Lai, and vice president-elect shall begin.
1: Lai thanked the U.S. for its long-term support of Taiwan. He said he believes the relationship will move in a stable direction and that it can become an important force to safeguard the peace and prosperity of the Indo-Pacific.
0: Lai promised to continue to defend peace and stability in the Taiwan Strait when he's sworn in as president.
3: I hope the United States can continue to support Taiwan and deepen cooperation between the United States and Taiwan for our mutual benefit for the safety and prosperity of the region.
1: Political analysts say there will likely be rocky relations ahead for Taiwan and Communist China given the election results.
2: Beijing is going to look at DPP that has about 40% or so of the votes only, and loses the majority in the parliament. And Beijing is going to think, maybe if just pressures Taiwan a little bit harder, it will be enough to make a difference in the next election. And so Beijing has reason to want to push rather than trying to extend all of branch. So that's going to entail uh, instability likely uh, going forward.
0: Ti Sung from Atlantic Council's Global China Hub pointed to the breakdown of the votes.
1: He said since neither of the two major parties won the majority in parliament, there is a decisive third party around.
0: And that this would involve more bargaining in the policy-making process when it comes to cross-strait relations.
1: Sung said that Beijing will only provide more stabilizing moves towards Taiwan if it thinks the next government of Taiwan has staying power.
0: Taiwan's already facing challenges. Two days following the election, Nauru, an island nation in the Central Pacific, is cutting diplomatic ties with Taiwan. Nauru said earlier today that it seeks formal diplomatic ties with communist China instead. This makes Nauru Taipei's first diplomatic ally to switch to Beijing following a presidential election.
1: The Chinese communist regime has worked for decades to lure Taiwan's diplomatic allies. If a country wants to build diplomatic ties with Communist China, it has to cut ties with Taiwan.
0: The Taiwanese government accused Beijing of the ploy and said the latest development was like an ambush. A Taiwanese official said Beijing offered Nauru more money than Taiwan did.
1: The latest move by Nauru leaves Taiwan with just 12 diplomatic allies, including Guatemala, Paraguay, Eswatini, Palau and the Marshall Islands.
0: And in more China news, Taiwan is, as you heard, getting a new president and tensions are already brewing.
1: With no majority in parliament, we explore how the incoming leader plans to navigate the mounting pressure from Beijing. And what Biden has to say about Saturday's elections, that and more tonight at 9.30 p.m. only on NTD's China in Focus with Tiffany Meyer.
0: A government religious freedom watchdog is urging the Biden administration to take more action to address the Chinese regime's malign influence in the United States. We have here to discuss with us the watchdog's chair, U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedoms, Rabbi Abraham Cooper. Rabbi, there's been alarming evidence of the Chinese Communist Party perpetrating transnational repression and imposing its malign political influence here in the U.S. What should people here know about that?
10: Well, I would say for the average American citizen uh, who generally just identifies China with uh, you know, shopping, uh, we need to understand that uh, the current government is uh, trying to extend its influence on expats here in the United States, uh, but also through TikTok and other means to actually impact on uh, how we think, what our priorities are in terms of uh, policies. And uh, they're very aggressive in terms of utilization of technology in pursuit of those goals.
0: Absolutely, and in terms of China itself, where does the U.S. stand in a practical sense in terms of religious freedom and human rights there?
10: Well, as you know, every American administration is, uh, you look at China and every year China gets uh, uh, stronger, more influential on the international scene, but also more aggressive, especially under President Xi in terms of pursuit of its own uh, goals. The United States, and I don't think anyone wants to get into a shooting war with China, but the question is how do you then prioritize what your issues are when you're dealing Uh, between Washington and Beijing. From where we sit at USERF, we would like to see the issue of religious freedom and obviously human rights be right near the top. We can pursue economic and geopolitical goals uh, equally. And an important litmus test where China is heading is whether or not we can influence them in terms of the religious minorities uh, in in, uh, that country.
0: There are of course various religious uh, and spiritual minorities there who are being targeted and have been targeted for a long time. One of those being Falun Gong. Uh, what's your assessment of the CCP's treatment of that group.
10: Well unfortunately we got an early peak uh, at where the Chinese government was going more generally with uh, religious uh, and other minorities. Obviously they're not brooking uh, any possibility of people looking to anyone else or anywhere else than the CCP and the head of the Chinese Communist Party for rules about how they should live their lives. And because Falun Gong is an independent group, they have paid a very, very heavy price now for quite some time uh, in, in so far as being perceived and treated as enemies. But now we add to that list the destruction of Christian churches, the arrest and prosecution of a, a 90-year-old uh, cardinal uh, in Hong Kong, and of course, the horrific maltreatment of uh, of the Uyghurs. So uh, now we just, unfortunately, have, have added uh, so many of these groups to the list. It does reflect the underlying messages, together with the technology, that the Chinese Communist government wants to control every aspect of everyone's lives in that uh, nation uh, and beyond.
0: And in terms of technology, that's a huge part of this fight for freedom and religious freedom within China. What is the U.S.'s technology policy towards China's human rights abuses, would you say?
10: Well, you know, I think it's not just a matter of the government, although it has to lead. It's also the companies. And I, I think that uh, there is a growing awareness, not just here in the United States, but in other democracies like South Korea, like and especially Japan, that are also seeing these uh, trans uh, transnational moves made by Beijing to uh, try to impose its will on uh, expats and sometimes uh, threaten individuals, keep an eye out on what's going on and even impacting on Average citizens here, when you go to a rally on behalf of Chinese people, you have to worry that maybe facial recognition will come back to haunt you. Right. Uh, we're, at a tip, we're at a tipping point right now.
0: Rabbi Abraham Cooper, thank you so much. Coming up in the NFL, a blizzard in Buffalo has the team asking fans for help. NTD's Dave Martin joins us to explain.
1: And exactly 15 years ago, the miracle on the Hudson. Let's take a moment to review the dramatic footage from January 15th, 2009, more shortly here on NTD News Today. Welcome back. And now for your sports news, we're joined by NTD's Dave Martin. Dave, an exciting weekend of NFL playoffs. Let's start in Kansas City, where it was the fourth coldest game in NFL history. Do you think the weather helped the Chiefs out?
3: Yeah, I do. I mean, when it's cold, and it was minus four when the game started, the wind chill actually went into the negative 20s, it's harder for your hands to grip the ball, which usually means more turnovers. Now, each turn, each team actually only turned it over once, so that really didn't play much of a part of it. But also when when there's a little snow or even ice on the field, or when the field is frozen itself, it really slows down the players. Now, Miami's offense is really built on team speed, so this really hurt them. The Chiefs' defense actually looked just as quick, and they really shut them down. As a result, I mean, the the Dolphins really never got a rhythm going. The game really wasn't that close. Now, I will grant the Chiefs already had a great defense. In any case, Kansas City will now host Houston next week after those Texans throttled Cleveland. That game is actually not expected to be much warmer next weekend, but. We'll have to wait and see, I guess.
0: Now that game wasn't the only one affected by weather, as the delay they delayed the Bills Steelers game this afternoon because of a blizzard in Buffalo. Yet they needed help from fans just to clear the stadium. So what can you tell us about that?
3: Yeah, the team offered eight, anyone 18 years older $20 an hour plus food and breaks to come to the stadium and help shovel the seats out. You know. Mm-hmm uh there's plenty of snow to shovel too they got 17 inches in like 30 hours uh and the snow is expected i think finally stop this afternoon now the stadium has a capacity of 70,000, so there's lots of seats to uncover now this kind of game of course is tough for fans to show up to you know for the chiefs game in kansas city seats were being resold for as little as 30 dollars that's like 10 percent of the original ticket price and that was on a saturday this is on a monday though now, it's not as, cold as in, it's not as cold in Buffalo, it's like in the 20s, uh, but of course, just getting to the game will be difficult
1: with all this snow on the ground. Yeah. Man, we just saw that guy sledding in the middle of that stadium with his shirt off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> looked like fun.
1: Oh my gosh, I hope he's okay. Uh, turning to tennis, the Australian Open started Sunday and new mother and former number one Naomi Osaka lost um, in her first round. Was this somewhat expected after a 15 month layoff?
3: Yeah, I, I think it would take time for anyone to come back after over a year. She actually played two weeks ago in her initial return, splitting two matches. Now, she's only 26, but she's already won four Grand Slam titles, including this tournament back in 2019 and 2021. Now, another former top ranks player who also took time off to become a mother and then returned is Caroline Wozniacki. She took off three and a half years, then returned to last year's U.S. Open, where she made the fourth round. She won her first round match today. Now on the men's side, Novak Djokovic, he's out with another injury again. But top-ranked Novak Djokovic, he won his uh, first round match today. I'm sorry, yesterday. He's won this tournament ten times. That's more than anyone else, including each of the last four times he's been allowed to play anyway. So something to watch for
1: there. All right. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, guys. Thanks,
0: Dave. And next up, new research has found that people who meditate are more willing to face the more difficult facts of life.
1: Here's NTD's Gina Marie from Strong Mind and Body with that story.
6: According to research, people who meditate daily are less likely to avoid negative information. Smart decision-makers gather all the pertinent information and weigh the pros and cons dispassionately. This includes gathering information that is unsettling or unpleasant, or at least that's what people should do. The reality is quite different, however. Because of what experts call cognitive bias, people tend to ignore potentially negative information. This is even when such information is available to them. The new study shows that people can reduce this tendency toward information avoidance through regular mindfulness meditation. The researchers define the practice of mindfulness meditation as sitting still with eyes closed and observing, but not responding to breathing, physical sensations, thoughts, and emotions. Several studies have shown that practicing meditation on a regular basis has a positive effect on both mind and body. Meditating for just 15 minutes a day helps to relieve stress, increase concentration, reduce the risk of depression, and enhance productivity. For the study published in Economics Letters, the researchers recruited over 250 participants. They randomly divided them into two groups. One group meditated every day for 15 minutes, and the other spent that time listening to relaxing music. Before and after the experiment, the study participants had to answer a set of standardized questions. It was to figure out how well they dealt with negative information and how strongly they responded to emotions. The participants, who meditated every day for two weeks, were better equipped to simply observe their negative emotions and accept them calmly. According to the researchers, this positive development was not observed in members of the control group. The study's authors concluded that mindfulness meditation makes people more resilient to uncomfortable emotions. In turn, it allows them to process negative information more objectively. In other words, meditation training could help people to make better decisions.
0: A unique sight was spotted in Antarctica below Chile, a white penguin with a condition called leukism. Gentoo penguins are usually known for their black and white feathers, but this female had mostly white plumage.
1: Unlike albinism, leucism causes a partial loss of pigment while maintaining normal eye color. Wildlife experts say leucism is rare, but has been observed in various species.
0: Unfortunately, the condition may make these animals more vulnerable to predators as their distinct appearance stands out in their natural habitats. Another rare animal spotted in southern Thailand, the first known sighting of an all-white Amura's whale.
1: On New Year's Day, passengers on a charter boat witnessed the all-white whale swimming alongside another whale, which was dark grey.
0: Amura's whales were first observed in the wild off the coast of Madagascar in 2015. This whale could be the first known instance of an albino one. A 22-year-old Air Force pilot was crowned Miss America in Orlando, Florida last night. Colorado's Madison Marsh became the first active-duty Air Force officer ever to win the national title. Marsh impressed the judges with her dedication to learning and leadership. She earned her pilot's license at age 16 and is a master's student at the Harvard Kennedy School.
1: 51 contestants from every state participated in the pageant. The event also saw a separate competition for Miss America's Teen. A 16-year-old from North Carolina came out as the winner. Today marks 15 years since the miracle on the Hudson. That was when a pilot successfully landed a jetliner on the Hudson River, saving everyone on board.
0: 155 people in total were aboard the U.S. Airways flight, traveling from New York to La- LaGuardia Airport to Charlotte, North Carolina.
1: The plane flew into a flock of Canada geese shortly after takeoff, knocking out the engines.
0: The pilot steered the crippled jetliner over the densely populated city, and she glided the plane to an emergency landing in the icy river. Experts called it a masterful job under life-or-death pressure.
1: Then New York Governor David Patterson dubbed it a miracle on the Hudson.
0: That's all for today's news.
1: Thank you for tuning in.
0: Feel free to reach out to us with news tips or feedback at news.today at ntd.com. We'll
1: be back with more stories tomorrow.